Hello everyone, you are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and today you are going to be listening to an interview conducted by Kristen Lopez with the writer and director of the film The Promise, Terry George, along with actress Angela Sarafian. Um, I got a lot of questions from people on Twitter that were very interested in how this movie is going to try to kind of differentiate itself because The Ottoman Lieutenant came out recently, similar type of story. Um, So I guess the first question that I have is how did you kind of want to differentiate telling a story that most people would, I think, on the surface say that they've seen before, even though they haven't? Well, just to deal with The Ottoman Lieutenant first, I mean... None of us really knew this was coming out until four weeks ago. And then subsequently a journalist on the Daily Beast did an investigation and it turns out it's connected with the Erdogan government and was basically the denialist point of view told through a story that's so remarkably similar in storyline, construction and look to ours. So it seems to me it's almost a fake movie. It's brought out here ahead of time either to confuse people or present that argument. Now, for, uh, for us, separately from that, which is we were never in, in competition, uh, we, we created a movie that, a film in the, in the classic genre of the David Lean films, uh, Zhivago, Ryan's Daughter, Warren Beatty's Reds, you know, a great love story against the backdrop of a catastrophic event. Uh, and our, uh, our hope is that, A, to entertain people, which is the obligation of all filmmakers, I believe. And B, to educate and hopefully uh, encourage people uh, about the subject of genocide and refugees, which is so relevant today. So those were our objectives. And, um, and, and, you know, ultimately it's about how you universalize a story and how many people you can draw into it. But this was also about giving the Armenian people the feeling that their story had been... told in this great genre educational and entertaining well and it's great that you brought up you know classic film because i i just Mm -hmm. came back from the tcm classic film festival last Mm -hmm. week so what was it like to try to kind of put in these grand you know reds and and dr Mm -hmm. Zhivago, and i think you brought up in the president's man for all seasons and without i mean were there things that you definitely wanted to replicate or was it just kind of evoking the feeling of those films replicate in some ways, the look of Reds um, really impressed me. It's my—it's probably my favorite. It's an film. amazing film. Yeah, and and just the the scope of the political story that Warren was able to tell through this love triangle was real. I mean, that was—I'd say Reds was the blueprint in terms of structure and uh, emotion and drama. Um, but and that form, uh, along with the the, the political non-fiction or humanitarian non-fiction and, and, and uh, feature drama is for me is the best type of educational and entertaining film in that if you look at you know whether it's Schindler's List or Missing or The Killing Fields or as you said you know the, the uh, Reds or whatever it, it educates the audience in a way that I don't think any other medium quite can in, in that it brings people inside the event itself. 
Well, this is a question for, for both of you, because I actually got to talk to James Gray last week because he's promoting uh, Lost City of Z. And I thought it was interesting. You know, you guys have both done movies set in the past. Um, what is the appeal for, for each of you in doing movies from a historical context and, and doing films that kind of are not set in this time period. I mean, we have a resurgence with cinema now that's, you know, aiming towards the 70s with a lot of movies, but each of you have done movies that are definitely steeped in, further in the past. What's the appeal? Uh, well, when I worked on The Immigrant, um, it was about immigrants. It was about people who left their home and took everything on a boat and, and came to a new right. country and didn't know if they would actually make it to that country. Hence that complicated thing that happened in the 20s with Ellis Island in the early 1900s. And um, that's what drew me in. It wasn't just the time period, it was that element. Because my family, they were immigrants. Right. And so it was incredibly moving to kind of have that moment be investigated in a film. And I loved James Gray, and I loved, when I read the first few pages of the script, I. I was very much hooked, and that's usually when I know that I want to be a part of a story if I can tell or add something to it. And similar to this, it's a, a film about the Armenian genocide. It's a love story that takes place in that time, and it's so very much connected to everything that I've heard from my ancestors, from telling my grand grandparents, and our grandparents telling those stories down to us. So I, it was again something that I felt I could offer something to. Right. Well for me this is the the furthest back in history I've gone uh, in my career. The, 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 the films I've done tell to be almost contemporary in that the Rwanda genocide was 10 years before when I made the film and In the Name of the Father was similarly 10 years before. Uh, but th th there was an immediacy to this film because as I was writing uh, and then particularly as we were shooting the, the events that we were filming, such as refugees fleeing across the desert from Aleppo or to Aleppo, uh, refugees stranded up a mountain uh, under siege. Literally, we were filming that when the Yazidi crisis was going on and they were trapped by ISIS. People drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. All of that gave it a contemporary nature. So it was a challenge to weave in the history and at the same time make it somewhat contemporary contemporary uh, but again it's about the the storytelling itself I find has to uh, you, you have to engage the audience particularly audiences who today are so used to CGI special effects action and beats and yeah and I wanted uh, I wanted to try like you said recreate the David Lee Warren Beatty thing and so we really steered away from CGI as much as possible and you know, had hundreds of extras and locations rather than paint anything in. Because I, I believed, I just believe that film has lost some of its mystique now because of CGI. Mm. You don't, you never believe a stunt anymore. No, nothing's ever yeah. tangible looking. Yeah, like yeah, they're, you exactly. know. Exactly, it's not, you know, and if a car heads towards your lead actor rolling there, you know it's a blue screen. It ain't, it ain't the real thing. And, and so with us, we wanted the audience to feel the movie recreated and relived some of these events. Well, and Angela, I love your character in the, in the movie. I think you do so much with a character that I think had it been 
lesser written or lesser played would have just kind of faded into the background. Thank you. And I wanted to ask you, you know, was there anything specific in your performance that you you wanted to include so that, you know, the character does stand out? And I I, I think, you know, for me it stands out, so I don't know if that was Thank anything you. you did intentionally. Well, I, I she's an Armenian traditional woman, so I've grown up with two very close to me. That my that's my mom and my grandmother and I found that they had some of the qualities that Maral, she she embodies kind of that love kind of romance and and loyalty and and hope, that kind of naivete, these elements that I, I see in them. And I'm not saying all Armenian women are that, but I saw those qualities in her. And I believe that Maral was in love with Mikhail. So I wanted to bring those parts of her to, to life in those brief moments. Um, and I feel like Christian Bale does, is in love with Anna. For sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, one, one of the things yeah. about the love quadrangle is that there, there are two different types of love caught up. There's what I call practical love, in that Anna re relies on Christian, or Chris, having yeah. carried her, her right. through the suicide of her father, She's not, and she's not sure that she's in love with him, in a in a passionate way or, or whatever. But then she meets Mikael, and that she can't help herself. And at the same time, Mikael has done, you know, he's basically done this deal of betrothal to get the money. But then when he's forced into the marriage, somewhat by his mother and so forth, then he settles down with Morale and is clearly in love with her. So you have this juxtaposition of you know, passion versus the the practicality of love. Two people who are together who find love through being together. And that for me is a, you know, that's as contemporary as you can get. Uh, and so I really wanted to play with that form. Well, I'd be remiss to not ask because everybody on my Twitter feed would ask me, working with the, the internet's boyfriend, essentially, Oscar Isaac, uh -huh. what, was, what was that like? He's very generous as an actor. Uh, none of our stuff really had a lot of that vibe, that the difficult stuff, you know, the bigger scenes. And so our stuff was really somewhat intimate, kind of like talking by the fire, you know. Yeah. It was simple things, and it, it was great. We we were able to understand each other and kind of live from one moment to the next. Of course, because Terry created that kind of set, so. It was, yeah. I had a great time. I just feel between the two of you, particularly with you, you the, the impression you left from the first scenes haunts the film. Mm -hmm. Because you know deep down mm. there's this beautiful character who's so generous to him and is praying for him to come back. And yet, <laughs> She's the, did the Geraldine Chaplin, yeah. essentially, to throw Dr. Zhivago yeah. in there. And, she's, and so... Uh, and he's clearly haunted by that. And then when he does get back and marry her, we see the fruition of that and realize that he's actually not going back to Anna to try to reunite. He's genuinely going back to tell her, I'm sorry, you know, I, I lied to you, or, or a lie of omission. Uh, and, and so, she, uh, you know, Angela, with these small scenes, anchored the whole movie in right. terms of what's going on, which is an amazing thing to do. 
Well, I was, I was going to say, the, the female characters in movies like this, yeah. especially contemporary films today, you kind of see the female characters as either one, they're one note. They're either yeah. overly pious or they're overly, you know, kind of the manic pixie dream girl. And what was it like kind of honing, you know, both both your performance and, and Charlotte, uh, her performance? Was there anything you guys wanted to either shape or, or promote in terms of having these female characters kind of not not be second second tier to well, the men no they were they were essential to the if you didn't find in morale what I just described then the plot didn't really work yeah because Chris or uh, sorry Mikael Oscar had to come back and then be in love with this woman and bond with her and it is a second life for him and with Charlotte and again this was the audition Angela you know, audition for us and Charlotte audition. I needed a woman who you believe these two men would fight over. Mm-hmm. That she was sophisticated uh, and that they could both fall in love with her in a way and that she could both handle them. But also a woman who, who then, I mean, she transforms from this Jaude de Vivre society girl from Paris into this earth mother for all these orphans. So there's a transformation going on there. So they're, they're complex characters that have to be carried through. And, and clearly, well, obviously, morale didn't know about uh, Anna, but, but the, the, unless you have that pulling of the heart, then the film doesn't work. Exactly. And I think Charlotte does such a beautiful job because we were talking about this during press and she was saying, I don't know, I didn't think that I was right for, I was nervous, I didn't think I was right for, but I think that quality that's in Charlotte is what makes her so perfect, I think, for this part because she's so, there was almost this kind of purity about her, like this mm-hmm. elegance and, and, class and and she was just beautiful I thought in the role and so well cast and and you you fall in love with her I, I think when you watch the film you fall in love with her from both sides yeah. well I was gonna say that you know watching your performance it's both totally different from something like Westworld but at the same time there's kind of similarities at least for me in terms of the fact that both characters have this good-heartedness and are kind of pulled along by events and end up having to, you know, end in, end in situations that probably they would want to avoid. Um, but was there, you know, when, when I, I want to throw out Westworld because I love you in that. I think that you're, you. you're great in it. But, you know, was it, how hard is it for you to transition from kind of one time period where you're playing an, you know, old time character to a different time? Is that, is it, does it take you a little bit or is it just a seamless transition if there's a question in there no they're they're so different um they just require different things the roles require different things and you can do them both at the same time even almost but uh this 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 character kind of had all my ancestry and all those things so it, it pointed one thing but Westworld was just a whole other kind of world and she's a prostitute and she's she's kind of this woman that knows how to use her sensuality to get men but there is an innocence to her I guess that's the thing that kind of bonds the two characters so so they just require different energy both characters kind of could exist at the same time but 
I don't know. I don't even know. I, I think that, that, yeah, that, no, it, I don't even know if I had a question there. So I feel it, that, that worked perfectly. Are we out of time? Okay, well, thank, oh, you, thank you so much. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.